0: Nine, twelve. 12.
1: of
2: body. But we can discuss that
1: later. Service <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up.
0: and
3: Coming to you direct from our super-secret studio...
1: Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio, and you can also find us on our new home on iTunes, and if you like this podcast, you can rank it, rate it, and leave lots of lovely comments about it, because I would really like that, and if you don't like it, you should just lie and still leave lots of lovely comments about me. And I am your host, Emily Brandwin, CIA spy girl on Twitter, which is super subtle, I know. And we're doing something a little bit different today. <clears throat> we are broadcasting from the East Coast instead of the West Coast, and I'm in our very fun studios out here. And the reason I'm doing this very special episode is because a while back I tweeted something out about – I there was some story about sex in the CIA. And I tweeted out a story I wrote years ago in Marie Claire that literally was sex in the CIA – Not the title I gave to it, but they gave to it. And as a joke, I said, oh, I should do a whole podcast about sex and dating in the agency. And everybody said, oh, my God, you should do it. You should do it. And I got tons of tweets. And my boss said, that's a great idea. So here we are. And I am so thrilled because I am joined by one of my old bosses, who I don't think you remember me. Uh Uh-oh. John Seifert, do you remember that you were my one of my first bosses? No. And you scared the shit out of me. Why? Because you're super intimidating.
0: No, I'm not. You
1: are so intimidating. <laughs> That's not true. I was very intimidated by John. You were my boss for just a little bit. But you were – and I – so it's funny because John went from intimidating the shit out of me from me DMing him saying, hey, so I'm doing this podcast. I want you to talk about <laughs> sex in the CIA. Cool? And he's like, sure. And I said, this is a weird circle that we've <laughs> now come around. And I'm also joined by Cindy Otis, who I adore you, Cindy, because a lot of times we get a lot. I met you the old fashioned way on Twitter, which is how you meet everybody. (laughs) But we have a lot of, isn't it, Cindy?
2: Absolutely.
1: And I feel like we've bonded because we've seen a lot of people who do a lot of stupid tweets about women in the CIA, like (laughs) aggressively (laughs) stupid tweets. And so, Cindy, I've appreciated
2: James Bond gifs. (laughs) gifs.
1: <laughs> yes, all of the James Bond gifts, And so I've always appreciated the way that you not so gently slap back. And so I was super excited to talk to you.
2: <laughs> and yeah, It's never been considered subtle.
1: <laughs> there is literally nothing subtle. And that's why I adore you so much. And I thought, this is such a good opportunity for me to bring together all the folks that I've adored into one room to talk about something super subtle like sex in the CIA. And finally, um, I feel like, Doug, I know you because we've we tweet an email and it's Doug Patterson. And I feel like literally, I feel like I know you and we've never actually met in person.
3: That's right. We have not yet. We keep trying, but but fate intervenes.
1: Literally, it'll. Doug will say, hey, I'm in LA. I'm like, that's cool. I'm in DC. And he said, hey, I'm in New York. Great. I just left New York yesterday. And we keep like literally intersecting. But I feel like there's a lot of similarities. We talk theater a lot, which, of course, is the way to my heart. And your wife is into washi tape. And I know that sounds super nerdy, but it delights me. So there you go.
3: She, She's definitely into that. Yeah, we should have my people call your people and schedule something. Then it'll work out.
1: Well, you sound like you're now living in L.A. <laughs> once you say that. Um, exactly. I- I'm going to tell a little bit about each one of you, and then we are going to dive in and talk about really embarrassing things. And I promise I have lots of embarrassing stories as well. <laughs> so John is, John Cipher, who you – you all should follow on Twitter because you'll know why I was intimidated by him because he does lots of great tweets about Trump and they're amazing and they're like chef's kisses. They're, ah, oh, <laughs> I love them. Um, a 28-year career in the CIA, that's the Central Intelligence Agency in the clandestine Service. And uh, at the time of his retirement, this sounds very scripted because I took it from your bio, <laughs> so I right. apologize. You were in the Senior Intelligence Service, so that's a CIS. And now you taught, I didn't you know you taught at the farm.
0: I did teach at the farm. Were
1: you one of the meanies at the farm?
0: I was one of the nice guys at the farm. There's That's why I'm hurt that you said I was intimidated.
1: Oh, my gosh. I wish I would have had you <laughs> as one of my teachers at the farm. We That's can fun. get to that, too. I didn't yeah. know you did that. Sure. Oh, my God. It was... That's the farm is what you hear about and people will talk about it. It's basically spy school. And you kind of you learn how to be a spy and it's like spy college. And then there's a graduation, but there's no pomp and circumstance and you don't get to throw your hat in the air, which is unfortunate. (laughs) Um, But currently you are consultant and you are the founder of Spycraft Entertainment. So you help consult to a lot of entertainment and hopefully making a lot of the spy shows a lot better because a lot of them are really, really shitty. And I'm going to need
0: your help on this, obviously.
1: I will help you. I will guide the way, even though you intimidated me a long time ago. (laughs) I'm here for you. And Cindy, you joined the CIA in 2007 as a military analyst and were there for over 10 years. And you're a European analyst and then you did the Middle East as well, correct? I did, yep. And you were an intelligence briefer to the White House, which is very cool. Was that amazing? I was
2: it was amazing it was um the the time period in my life where I got no sleep whatsoever, but it was amazing
1: <laughs> and If Cindy's name sounds familiar, it's because you've seen her in u s a today You've seen her pieces in c n n Daily Beast, Teen Vogue, which by the way has some of the best content about politics that you'll see. Mm. Uh, great, right? a, a truly great stuff. There's a great writer. Her name is Lauren Duca, who has done some great political coverage. Mm-hmm. To tell you how great it is, she pisses off Tucker Carlson. So that should give you a hint. <laughs> um, and you like Broadway, so clearly you're on this podcast with me. And we have Doug—I mean, it has to happen. Then Doug Patterson, he's former CIA officer, and you were overseas in Asia, Europe, Latin America, and the Middle East. You hold an MBA from Wharton because you're a smarty pants. And you worked in tech, and you write about business, intelligence topics, and you're up in the East Coast. I didn't want to dime you out and say where you lived. But Doug and I have known each other for years, again, through the old-fashioned way, Twitter. We've never actually met even though we've tried. And so its I'm so excited to actually hear your voice because you actually have a voice as opposed to being some bot.
3: That and and, uh, just a face on Instagram or whatever, yeah.
1: Exactly. So our topic, obviously, is sex in the CIA. And whenever I've talked about dating in the agency, I think I get so many questions about it and people are shocked because I always said, if you think getting your parents' approval on somebody you date is tough... Imagine getting Uncle Sugar to approve on whoever you're dating. John is nodding in agreement with me as I say this. Because as you would guess, anything in the government, there's – a fuckload of rules and regulations. Oh, I curse a little bit just as a warning for you all. Um, there are just a ton of rules and regulations, forms to fill out, but there's good reasons for that. And so, I wrote a piece about it. I've written a couple of things, and I've done interviews where I've talked about it. And that I get so many questions about it. So I thought first we would dive in and say, you know, why are the rules in place? And Cindy, I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about why the CIA, CIA, I almost said CIA, hey, hey, the CIA has so many rules in place about who you date, um, foreign or American and why you actually do report who you're dating?
2: Yeah. I mean, we've got rules on top of our rules, um, for everything. (laughs) So it's no different for dating really. Um, it's essentially just a matter of making sure that you, um, haven't accidentally started dating somebody that is looking for information from you essentially. Um, so that's especially true if it's, um, someone from another country with another citizenship, um, you know, we're, we're targets for foreign intel services and governments for recruitment. And so, um, you know, that, that practice of, of laying a trap of trying to get, um, your intel officer engaged in some sort of relationship with another intel officer of another country in order to get information that's just been going on for a long time. So um, that's sort of one of the primary reasons why they care.
0: I can give you a good story. I served in Moscow and um, I'm pushing 60 now and married for a long time. But in fact, I met my wife in Moscow. But when I was single there and young we were we were not allowed to date Russians because the Russians used them to collect information on us. They followed us everywhere we went, anyone we met, anywhere they would interview and try to use against us. So I I was a young person. I was out at a embassy party. A German diplomat was having a party in a big, fancy apartment downtown. And I went to the party, and there was this woman there, beautiful. She was in the higher school for piano, Tchaikovsky School, and seemed very— Interesting, and, and I was talking to her, and I said to myself, "Well, maybe she's Ukrainian. Maybe I can." <laughs> and trying to fool myself, I was under surveillance to the party, but the, the little surveillance guys that follow you can't come into the you know a foreigner's apartment as part of the party. So I'm talking to her, talk to her. I, so I arranged to meet her for brunch the following day. Nice Um day. And then as I was driving home, I got back in my car, and my surveillance guys follow me down to my little apartment in southern Moscow. And I can't, sort of came to my senses, and I realized, yeah, this, is, this isn't going to work. She's clearly Russian. I can't, I can't do this. And so, the next day, I did get up in the morning and went down to the brunch at the Metropole Hotel, fancy hotel across from the Kremlin sat down. We were to have brunch. And as part of it, I, you know, it was a good discussion. But I said, listen, I'm really sorry. Our embassy discourages people from from dating the locals. And she sort of got in my face. She says, oh, my God, you know, it's the Cold War is over. I can't believe your embassy would be so stupid. Why would they <laughs> care about, you know, young people talking to each other and these type of things? And she seemed to sort of press it against me. I said, listen, I understand. I understand. I apologize And my surveillance where people were sitting in the corner watching this whole thing. Uh, that's fine. She goes her own way. I go my own way. About a week later, I'm in the embassy and I get a call. And it's it's winter in Moscow and out the windows of the old embassy and it's snow everywhere. And she says – she calls and says, hey, I'm at my uh, conservatory. I have something I need to tell you. Can you please just stop by quickly? I'll, I'll meet you right out in front in the street. And because the Russians are always playing tricks and games on us, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, what's happening here? But I, on the way home, I did – and it was dark, snowy with my cars following me behind – uh, and she's standing on the side of the road in a, in a fur coat, long, full-length <laughs> fur coat in the snow. And I'm just trying to figure out what's going to go on here. I get in my car. I walked over to her, and, and she said, listen, I just want make it, to make it clear to me that I'm embarrassed by my country. She goes, your embassy is right. The Cold War is not over. Uh, I'm embarrassed by my country. The day after I had brunch with you— uh, people came to my apartment, they threatened me, they said I had to have sex with you. They told my parents that they would lose their job unless I continued to try to see you and oh, date Jesus. you. And and they put a lot of pressure on me and they threatened to pull me out of my conservatory and I now realize what people have been talking about forever. And I said, yes, I understand, I'm very sorry. And, and now you're and married <laughs> 30 years later. <laughs> yeah. Have...
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. That's. But basically it's the idea that You could be turned—I think we've seen a lot of movies like The Americans where the Russians will use things. They call them honey traps, where basically they use sex to lure in, uh, hopefully, an officer from a foreign intelligence service. And so— you have to report anybody that you date as a CIA officer if you think that they're foreign or could be foreign. I mean, if someone asked me, even Canadian, and I'm like, even Canadians? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Even though you guys are endearing, we still have to report you. And you basically have to make sure that they're they're cleared and before you can date them. And so you can go on... Um, actually, Doug, do you want to talk about close and continuing contact and what that means?
3: One of the scary things I've seen is that People interpret it differently. And I remember an overseas um, experience with a fellow case officer who said that close and continuing only mattered if you kept a toothbrush at their apartment. (laughs) That seems like. fundamentally, close and continuing was a way to provide a guideline to folks about when they needed to report something. And uh, I know a number of folks took advantage of that over the years by applying a very loose interpretation of what close and continuing uh, meant, um, because you, you did need to report when you were having relationships with foreign nationals um, that, that, that rose to that level of reporting rather than kind of a random hookup.
1: And basically what it means is uh, close and continuing is Of course, another CIA word because there's always a CIA term or word for if you're dating someone more than once. And there was always – I always heard people joking or saying that basically you could have a one-night stand with somebody. And if you didn't see him again, you didn't have to report it because it wasn't close and continuing contact. And so you could kind of skirt the issue by saying, "Okay, I'm just going to have a one-night stand. And you would avoid all the paperwork. And and so I remember – and not to be too blue, but I remember a guy – went out with a girl, and not to generalize, but he went out with this girl. They had sex, and he was debating seeing her again, and he said, she was good. I don't know if she was paperwork-worthy good. And literally (laughs) sat and debated whether... He was like, I mean... I don't know if the blowjob is good enough to fill out all the paperwork. And there was an earnest debate that he was having. He was a disgusting pig, but he (laughs) legitimately debated whether he wanted to go through the paperwork of doing it because he knew he would have to, because he said, I have to report it. And I said, and the semantics of it were kind of disgusting, but I kind of appreciated that he had that debate. Um, And then Cindy, do you uh, can you talk a little bit about finu lenu because that ties into close and in, close and continuing contact? So after you report somebody, you hopefully know their names and you report their names. But if you don't, Cindy,
2: I don't actually know
1: that one. Oh well, I'll let John do it because he's laughing hysterically right now. This may be more of uh, the do operational <laughs> yeah. side that. So we're familiar we're, with this.
3: Absolutely, is <laughs>
0: so. When we meet somebody overseas, we, we you know we essentially re, part of that process of an intelligence agency is to to report your context on information on people, what so that years later, if people run into that person, there's information on them. We have sort of we know how to target and go after the right people. But in, in this case, if you're dating someone, you're meant to again write what happened and what the relationship is. And Fanu Lanu stands for first name unknown, last name unknown. So sometimes in our reporting, we'll meet someone at say, a party, not not in the sex side of things, but regularly. <laughs> and if you've met him and you, his name's Anatoly, but you never got his last name, you might write, you know, Anatoly L-N-U, last name unknown. And then I plan to meet him next time and I'll get his name and that type of stuff. So if it's a Fanu Lanu, meaning first name unknown, last name unknown, you're essentially saying, you know, I met this person for a one-night stand I don't care enough to learn what their name is. Kind of gross.
1: And I knew people who would literally talk about how many Fanuga news they've had, which was, again, a little skeezy and a little disgusting. Sort of
0: suggest prostitutes. So there are people, you know, in Southeast Asia and others that would get around the rules by essentially going to different prostitutes all the time. But then there's also a reporting rule that if you have, if you have, one night stands, but a lot of them you're meant to sort of put in occasional things to show that <laughs> what your behavior is like. And I remember I had a person working for me that had a, a lineup of finu Lanoos. It's kind of.
1: Did you have to have a conversation with them? Yeah. Was it the most awkward <laughs> conversation you've had in a while? No,
0: because that person was very comfortable. They'd been doing this kind of stuff forever. And, and there's different officers that, you know, if, if that person was married, for example, then that would create a, a problem and we'd have a more serious discussion. If that. This person, essentially, it was a long-time lifestyle thing, and I think it had been looked at by security and people before. It's kind of, I think it's kind of gross, but that was—
1: I love that you said—you called it a lifestyle thing. You know, <laughs> I just hook up with lots of hookers all the time. It's a lifestyle. But I appreciate because that was a lovely way of saying it. Doug, can you talk about—a little bit about why it's important that you do report it in the sense that why— the CIA one of the things that we do that's different the CIA does that's different than other intelligence agencies is we don't use sex to coerce somebody that we recruit it's not part of the recruitment cycle it's not anything that we do with an asset can you talk about why we don't a little bit because i i get one of the reasons is and i don't know if you've also heard this Cindy, like there's always i think more so for women than for men there's the assumption that we have slept with somebody for intelligence and the first question i get is well how many people have you killed? And they don't ask, (laughs) they don't ask like, have you? It's just how many, because there's the assumption I've killed many people. And then it's how many people did you sleep with? Not just have you, but it's just an automatic assumption. So, which I'm like, it's a government job, people. So clearly, (laughs) no. But Doug, can you talk about why we don't, why the CIA doesn't do that?
3: Sure, don't sell yourself short, Emily, though. I know there are shoes you might kill for.
1: there is most definitely a lot of shoes I would kill for <laughs> most. definitely, the, um,
3: I, I think the reason we don't use um, sex in exchange for intelligence or as a, a mechanism for intelligence collection is because as um, well, multiple reasons. But one, it's not in the culture that we want to uh, have created um, that we want to stand beside or behind Two, um, you know, if you look at the. Go ahead.
1: No, no, one said anything. We're, we're wrapped. We have wrapped attention.
3: The um, two, I think it's because we don't find it's not very effective. It, it doesn't build the depth of relationships that we hope to uh, establish with the folks that we're working with overseas. Um, and so it builds very short term or very shallow connections that, that don't um, lead to those long term relationships that we hope to, to establish and then benefit from for, for quite some time. Um, and, and three, I think we, we really just, it's, um, we've seen how it's been used against us, um, in, in other parts of the world and how other folks use it in out there. Um, and it's, I, I can't imagine being a, a leader in the organization and trying to ask somebody on our team to go do that, uh, for our country and what it would take to do that.
1: John, I saw
0: you nodding. <laughs> no, that's very true. Uh, and we're taught, I was always taught when we were recruiting a source, We are recruiting that source on behalf of the United States government. We're trying to collect information that the U.S. government can't get any other way. And we're taught to institutionalize that case. And what I mean by that is you may meet that person, develop a really close and personal relationship. You are looking at them, what makes them tick – their ego, you know, resentment at their boss. They, they're not getting enough attention at work. They need something for their children. You're looking for a, a hook, something to, mani- we say, manipulate to try to find why they might be willing to spy for you. Because frankly, most people don't want to spy. And, and But if you have the right access and, you, and you're the right kind of person and have vulnerabilities that we can take advantage of, we look to. But as part of that, we build a very, very trusting and important relationship. But for that case to be fully recruited, we have to, what we call, turn that person over. So if I've met someone and I'm living in Italy and I've developed this relationship with this person and I've determined that they have access to secrets that we need and they have needs that I can fulfill and we bring them along, sort of an increasingly complicit relationship, they may think they're working for me because the relationship's so close. But if I can't then turn that relationship over to another officer when I leave, we consider that a failure. Our job is to make that person a spy for the United States government, which means our relationship can be very important, but I then need to prepare that person to continue to spy for us even after I've left. And so, you know, even if you start a relationship where you were having sex with someone with that type of intense relationship, that is not the kind of thing where you can institutionalize a relationship in that way.
1: Well, I also think it clouds judgment. I think once once that component adds to any relationship, you can't make sound judgment because you're emotionally very divested. Um, and I'll tell a quick story about that. And you actually might know this person, so I'll tell you offline who it is. Um, one of my old bosses uh, was overseas and had recruited uh, a safe housekeeper, and had a relationship, you know, recruited in a regular asset. They recruited this person. And when he left, he turned the asset over, as John was saying. And so this gentleman went over and met this woman who was the safe housekeeper. And they sat down, and she immediately started getting undressed. And he said—John's nodding. And he said— uh, uh, what, 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 are you doing? And she said, "Well, this is what I do every time I meet. And I'm just going to pull a name out of the air." Ian, sorry, Ian, you're in the room, so I'm using your name. <laughs> so this off. Uh, so this officer said, "I'm not saying what he." She said, "Whenever I would meet Ian, um, I would get undressed and we'd have sex every time." And she, this case officer realized, "Oh my God, this is what's been going on," and had to do a lot of uh work. Uh, to say that is not what the expectation is. That is not what our country does. That is not what we do. And and there's a lot of uh, there's a, a lot of massaging that happened. It turned out that that officer got in a lot of trouble, um, and the he, original officer, the original officer who was having sex with the safe housekeeper, got in a lot of trouble. He also earned the nickname "safe housekeeper fucker," which is not the best <sighs> nickname in the world. But it kind of stuck. And that's what everybody was talking about because it was so inappropriate. That relationship, I believe, had to be terminated because it was tainted from the very beginning. And it was – and as much as I'm I'm kind of tongue-in-cheeking and laughing, you're talking about now two years or a year, whatever it was, invested in this relationship. So it's time. It's resources. It's money. It's a huge investment that you've put into somebody that's now been ruined because an officer used really, really, really poor judgment. So yep. that's one of the reasons, Cindy, I was going to ask you because we've talked a little bit about men and women and you know, I just told the story, but have you seen, because I've seen it, and I'm curious if you've seen it as well, sort of a double standard in terms of men and women and how they're treated or how people perceive uh, CIA officers, because I've seen a sexism. and I was curious if you've seen it and if you could speak to that a little bit.
2: Like public perception,
1: of, public perception, of, and also and, inside the agency as well. I'd love both sides both both sides if you could chat to that.
2: Oh gosh, that's a huge topic. <laughs> Let's talk about it on the outside um,
1: first, and and I can jump in too for you. Yeah,
2: um, I mean, I think on the outside, there's a there's a difference in how um, the public perceives female CIA officers versus male just in terms of the roles that they think they serve or, um, you know, there is sort of that assumption like you mentioned earlier of, well, how many people have you you slept with as a female CIA officer? Um, I think that's sort of a common misperception and I, I don't know, um, John or Doug would have to jump in to say whether they get that question as often as, as women do. And then, I mean, inside, um, Yeah, I mean, I think female officers sort of, um, depending on which directorate they were in, um, in some cases, there were very few women in certain directorates um, versus others, and that certainly um, colored everything from what programs that directorate pursued um, to how much they cared about things like diversity and inclusion, um, just a whole host of things.
3: Can I jump in here? Absolutely. I think there at least had been, um, you know, a, a difference in the way men and women were treated. Uh, and, you know, my experience in one tour in Southeast Asia, for instance, was um, it, it was quite normal for many of the male uh, case officers to, to go frequent some of those houses of ill repute, as as John mentioned, <laughs> and, and in fact kind of brag about it, um, with no ramifications to uh their their professional evaluations or reputation or anything along those lines but had one of the female officers in the station done the same thing or engaged in the same level of behavior there's no doubt in my mind that she would have been treated very very differently uh, with with counseling and and things like that so i think there, at you know and, and we've heard stories about female officers who've been brought back home from overseas after inappropriate relationships with developmentals or assets or whatever. Um, And and that's been less common, I think um, among male officers in the DO as well. And I think John, you'd probably agree with that.
0: Yeah. And when I've been a chief overseas and someone has to report to you, and in fact, that's, you know, it's something that's unusual in the CIA from most anywhere else is people have to come to you and explain their their sex life. And, (laughs) and, you know a lot of you know male bosses with women coming up to report that you know there's sort of a misogyny of men can come up and act like there's there's something special because they're having lots of sexual relationships, whereas that's obviously got to be much more uncomfortable just in our culture for women to come up to to tell a male boss that type of thing. And so you know, I, I like anything else and in, in our culture it's it's probably getting better, but that's a, an issue.
1: do you think it's changed with me too at all, or just the sensitivities now, John, with with how men and women, just are like, I I think about that. And I think, I don't, how would a woman now feel comfortable going to a male boss? I know it's part of the job, but I feel like that would be so uncomfortable. And I wouldn't want to do that. I would, you know, I am sort of loud. And I'm wondering how women feel now, if they would say, could there be a female, somebody, a supervisor, somebody else I could talk to about this, because you want to talk almost peer to peer, and you want to make sure that judgment isn't there.
0: No, that makes sense. But at the end of the, in fact, there should be. I don't. And obviously, there's there's lots of female bosses yes. overseas and things in, in Washington now as well. But um, at the end of the day, the person nonetheless has to report that. Yeah. If someone was didn't, if I was a boss overseas and a woman didn't want to talk to me about the specifics, I think I'd be okay with that as long as you reported it through. You know, I'd go channels. to the, the commotion person and say did she report that through the channel so that it's on the record because that's the important thing. Um, and then headquarters could tell you if they thought something was worthy of you knowing or not knowing. But yeah, this is an issue, and it's, it's difficult. The, the one thing I can say, you know, there's lots have been lots of leaks and problems in the CIA, and there's lots of fools there, like there are anywhere else. But this program has been, for for all the potential for m- mismanagement and being used as a weapon against people, it's things leak much less there, yeah. and it's tighter than many other things. I mean, I, I'm not aware ever, and and I'd be interested if you guys have, of people talking in the halls or leaking information based on people's reporting in those channels.
1: I, I was familiar, or I heard a lot about, you know, obviously men bragging, but nothing about any kind of Retribution or anything that would leak out, and that I never did, and I think that's probably part of the culture. I think there's enough other fodder to gossip yeah, about.
0: That's a good point, and I'm sure in in an office, small office, where people know about things, yeah. gossip goes out, but but from that. That program where things are written back to that office, I think they take it pretty seriously.
1: I do too. And Doug, you used a term, and I just think it's important uh, that we step back a little bit. You were talking about developmentals, and I just, I think you, I would love for you to define that so people understand when we talk about assets or developmental. I just want under- everyone to hear and understand the terminology that we use because there's a lot of jargon in in the government, we use a lot of acronyms. We make up acronyms because we're lazy. So hmm. I just was hoping, Doug, you could just kind of talk through that a little bit. So when we use terms, everybody knows what we're saying.
3: Sure. Um, it, as John was talking earlier about the process of meeting somebody and getting to know them, roughly speaking, that's our developmental. That's the person I'm I'm engaged with and making sure that this is somebody that I want to spend time with and learn what they're about and build a relationship with.
1: Okay. And it's, and during that process, and John obviously step in, when you're developing them, you're, you're gleaning information throughout this process and you're reporting it back to headquarters and you're assessing it. And basically I'm saying what you're saying, assessing whether you want to continue this relationship or not. And it's, and as you're developing this person, you're Formalizing more and more as the time goes by, a relationship that could be somebody you could recruit, and you're trying to assess whether they're recruitable and whether they'd be suited for recruitment as well. Um, exactly right. Oh, thank you.
3: Um, <laughs> I
1: was like, yay, I'm a star student. What? Um, and because you taught at the farm, John, I. Part of the Uh-oh. training. No, no <laughs> God, I'm just bummed you weren't my teacher
0: um,
1: because you were. There's good
0: sex stories from the farm as well. I,
1: well, I'm gonna ask you about that. I have <laughs> literally, I have notes where I'm like, John, share your story. Um, I was hoping you could talk about a little bit about the training because I feel like the training is sort of a black book on how to be skeezy in a way because you <laughs> do literally, I. It's like the keys to the kingdom because you're learning how. To kind of manipulate people and how to lie and mm-hmm. how to elicit information, and so I feel like at one point we're saying, "Don't be totally skeezy," and the second and the other hand is saying, "Okay, but if you are, we're going to show you how to do it right."
0: That's right. It's not kind of. In fact, you are <clears throat> manipulating and looking for opportunities to tell someone to spy, which is probably the worst decision they can make <laughs> for their life but... and, and health, <laughs> and w- which really puts the onus on bringing in the right people to CIA. So when you come in to apply, you go through a process of psychological training, of testing, a polygraph test, a number of other things. Because at the end of the day, we're looking for people who are very, very comfortable in the area of gray, and in the area of breaking laws overseas. Because in every country we deal with, espionage is illegal in the country that we work in. And we're going to be trying to develop relationships with people assess them and decide whether they're the kind of person who would be willing to spy. We may be paying them money. We may be providing things to them to make them complicit in a, in a espionage relationship with us. And we are indeed looking to manipulate them. So we're breaking laws in that country. But at the same time, you cannot be so out of control that you're breaking U.S. law because you can never break U.S. law. You have to be essentially a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout inside the office, whereas outside you're, you're wielding these skeezy, <laughs> these skeezy skills, if you will, on behalf of the U.S. government. So you have to have someone who's very clear about why you're doing it, when you're doing it, what you're doing. I can remember even from my class, there was a couple of people who were such sort of bullshit artists, if you will, that they couldn't really turn it off. They were in the bar trying to pick up girls. They were uh, you know, trying to work everybody for their own benefit as well as – so they might be very effective at the kind of work we do overseas, but you could never trust – them back home. You need someone who's working with someone. But if you make a mistake, you have to come back because nobody's watching you. You're by yourself. You meet agents by yourself. You have to come back and report the good, the bad, what you did wrong, and what you didn't wrong, it did didn't do wrong. And, and so yeah, it's a very interesting dichotomy.
1: It is, and it's so important because you do have a lot of autonomy when you're working. And I was Tremendous surprised. Amount. I was surprised because I was very young. Um, I still am. But I was (laughs) very young. But at how much responsibility and autonomy you were given. And so if you can't trust – uh, fellow case officer, operations officer, they're interchangeable if you hear people say that. It's its a real problem because you have given them all the tools to do it. And I remember someone saying, use your powers for good and not evil. <laughs> and I, I used to laugh, but then it, it makes absolute sense that you have to know when to use it and know when to not use it. And there's a term that people will say in the agency don't case officer a case officer. Basically, don't bullshit a bullshitter. Like we see through it. And it was funny. I was. A journalist was talking to me and was saying how he met with – and I'll tell you who it is later a, – a fellow case officer for something. And he goes, I was trying to, you know, buddy up to him and, you know, I was telling him stuff and, you know, he just wasn't having it. And I said, because you can't case officer, case officer, <laughs> and you're not even a case officer, so you can't even get that far with it. He saw through you. And he goes, no, 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 he didn't. And I said, I know. I know this guy. He totally saw through you. <laughs> like I don't mean to bust your ass, but he absolutely saw through you because – and even if I did know it, I would know it because the training is so intense and you see through that. Um, do you, what other kind of good... Uh, Emily, yes.
3: I remember, I remember dating somebody inside the organization before I met my wife and got married and she had been around for a little bit and knew a lot of case officers. And one of the very first things she said to me on an early date was, you better not be case officering me."
1: me. <laughs> I, I, it's fair enough statement for her to make because she'd seen (laughs) it all yep what kind of do you have any good stories any good uh dating lord doesn't have to be yours doug but better if it is but if not totally okay of any any kind of good stories that you saw at the farm any kind of good dating
3: stories well
1: that was
3: talking about (laughs) you know it's it's a pretty interesting environment to be in it would take a bunch of people with really small egos that are quite unconfident in their experiences and throw them, no, I'm just kidding. They're, they're obviously <laughs> very confident and, and some of them do bring significant egos to bear and throw them all in this really intense program mm-hmm. together. And many of them are single and have nowhere else to go. And so it does lead to some interesting um, encounters as well as risks of, of uh, relationship harm, et, et cetera. But one of the, the stories I remember most from being down there Um, And was uh, after an evening out in town, having a husband of a woman uh, who was a a local family show up at the front gate, banging on the gate, demanding to talk to the spose to get access to the (laughs) gentleman um, who was now safely behind the gates, who had been taking advantage of his his, uh, wife um, being out and about in town while we were down there at training. Um, not not necessarily his brightest shining moment.
1: Um, I wonder if they're still together. Is this you, Doug? Are you telling your story? <laughs> it, is this your personal story? Do you want to confess something? <laughs> popcorn,
3: popcorn. Okay. No, oh. Well, one that, of the I, things. That's our safe word. <laughs> <laughs> not my
0: story one of the things that happens down there is at the end of the day it's a pr- it's a pretty intense environment people are competing each against each other it's you're looking to be successful so as you start a career and make a name for yourself so there's sort of an intensity and it sometimes brings people together there's a lot of marriages that happen down there certainly so a lot of dating and the sort of harder side of that is now uh, in a lot of war zones in iraq and afghanistan and stuff there's I've been through classes where people are born about when you come down there, you you know you might be married back home, and you're going out for a year to spend time in Afghanistan or Pakistan or wherever you are, and you're working twenty four seven, and that group almost becomes your new family, and you develop relationships that are so incredibly intense that sometimes go to relationships and having sexual relationships. So people will be the first few weeks are there, they're calling home every night, and then the next the next month they're calling. You know, every few nights and then once a week, and then essentially you've almost broken from your old life because you're in, in this intense environment. Uh, and it causes a lot of problems. People often go home, and, you know, divorces come from those type of things, and it, it's, it's a problem.
1: It's the CIA has the highest divorce rate of any government organization.
0: And the highest re- retention rate of any organization, which is interesting That's at the same really time. really interesting. Yeah.
1: Because I also think it's is because there's a lot of people who also are. They say they called "graying out" in the agency. I'm not looking at anybody in this room, but and so it's so important. Or anybody on this phone, um, it's so important to retain talent, especially because it's such a specific set of skills. And I hate saying it, it sound like Liam Neeson. It's a very specific set of skills <laughs> that you learn, and it's such an investment of time and money to retain that talent. But because of that situation, it's you know I always heard people say, "Well, I'm a geographical bachelor." which mm. was their way of saying when they travel they're not married as much as much anymore and i think um cindy i was going to ask you if you can did you see it in cuz you were in the di did you see was Did you think that relationships were a little bit more stable? Because I think in the D.O. there was an element of drama there as well because of the intensity of of the actual job. And the D.I. had a similar intensity, but it was just was more domestic, I think, at times. And it was a little bit different in terms of hours. Did you see it um, challenging people's relationships as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, the D.I. The, yeah, was an interesting place for relationships. Um, we had you know, an initial training class as well. It wasn't the farm and it wasn't as long. Um, it was a couple of months, but you were with the same group of people. Um, and it could get quite intense. The hours were long and um, since it was in the beginning of people's careers. It actually was kind of a frustrating experience because you wanted to go and do the work. You didn't want to be sitting in a, in a training class for a month
0: huh.
2: um, and you didn't want to, you know, we would do these long task force um, practices where we had to do the hours of a task force, but none of it was real. Um, and you had sort of the stress of it and all of that, um, but again, none of it was real. So it was just sort of a weird, frustrating experience. But you were sort of locked into these rooms with these people for just hours and hours. Um, and um, actually, in in my training class, there was a, a quite a relationship drama <laughs> that broke out um, and sort of divided the class. There there were two women and one man, and ooh, a triangle. Um, each each woman dated the man, and it wasn't ever clear to me if they knew about each other from the beginning or if they found out about each other later, oh. um, but the class kind of broke into sides and, you know, which which person they supported and which person they thought the uh, the guy should go with. Did they have t- it, T-shirts
1: that said, like, Team Jane and Team Mary on it? Team, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> almost, almost. My solution was to... Um, Simply hide from from all of them and not get involved with it, but it's a good... it was definitely an interesting dynamic to see play out, and that was kind of symbolic of I think how DI relationships happened in general, like just more of a high schoolish feeling. <laughs> um, you know, the gossip was about like who was dating who, and um, like you know, it it still was the CIA, and so people were very quiet about who they were dating. It was such a small community that. You know, if you broke up, you didn't want it to be awkward with your mutual coworkers, And so most people would try and hide it as best they could. But then there would be rumors. Well, like, oh, look who look who had coffee together today. Hmm. How many times has that been this week? Um, and then, you know, suddenly a couple of weeks later, they announced they're engaged. Um, so that was kind of more the that's sort of more the dynamic in the D.I. I think, yeah, relationships were a bit perhaps more stable. Um and not quite as intense because we just we didn't travel as much. I mean, uh, DI officers do go to war zones and places like that, but um, it's a Washington-based job for the yeah, most part.
1: It was a little, I think, for the Dio, I used to say I would compare it to Melrose Place, which dates me. So it was it was a huge – I said it was a little – it was kind of a soap opera because I think in the Dio, I always knew who was breaking up and who was dating because people were always talking about it and people would say, oh, he met his second wife there or he met there. And so I also felt that because there was a pressure – The outside pressure of having to report foreign contacts—not that people didn't meet and marry wonderful spouses overseas—you saw a lot of interagency dating because part of it's just easier. They know your world; you don't have to. It's one less lie you have to tell, and you can you can speak about your day. I don't. Did you see that, John? Well,
0: even more than that, think about like I didn't get married till I was in my early mid thirties, and I was getting sort of nervous. I was. Going, learning language, going overseas, going overseas. Like, am I going to be able to meet somebody and get married? Part of the problem is, you know, if your career is one where you're living somewhere for two years or three years at a time, uh, how do you find a spouse who, In in most of us want people who are, you know, have also careers of their own and they're educated and stuff. You have to be able to find someone who actually wants to move with you or can find careers that allow them to move and do other things. You know, sometimes people will have teachers that can teach – in schools overseas. So it's a real hard thing. It helps in some ways if you have someone who's inside because you can sort of work the career piece of it as well. But of course, as people move up and get into different ranks, that creates a separate set of problems because you're looking for a job to to improve your career over here and that there's not a good job for me there and I might have to work otherwise. So I have a lot of friends who are married, but in different countries from each other. And so it's it's a hard career to find you know spouses that that will that work together in that place in that world
1: and i think overseas sometimes if you have a spouse that doesn't work they're ending they're working anyway because being a, a case officer spouse you have that job you're supporting your spouse in that you know what they do and you know what they're having to do as their cover job or whatever they're having to do, you're supporting that in its own way. And I think that's another set of pressure as well. It's a job they didn't sign up for, but yet they're having to do that. Doug, did your wife, because she, she wasn't a case officer, was she? She was not.
3: Um, So when, when I met her, she was working at Nordstrom's in Northern Virginia.
1: Oh, I should know her. Does she still have (laughs) a discount?
3: Yeah, exactly. I, I was a case officer and I was actually on a training exercise and was going through them all for some specific reasons. And
1: was this a cover stop? Wait, wait a minute. where you for... Stop. Was Nordstrom's a cover stop? You could and, write you, off. and you literally, yeah, you did your cover stop and you, you met your wife doing that.
3: Pretty much. Yes.
1: Okay. Cause that's amazing. That's
2: the best story ever,
3: ever. <laughs> well, but, but it leads to some really interesting challenges, right? Because you know, what as two adults meet one another, what is one of the first questions um, they ask each other?
1: Um, do you like what Broadway? do you do? Do you like what Broadway do you do? musicals? If, no, <laughs> shoot.
3: Yeah, uh, no, that that came later. Okay, um, but she asked me, "What do I do?" And what was my response to her? And it's at, at its basis level.
1: You work for the State Department.
3: Well, you I work for the it, government. Wh- whatever it was, it was a lie. Yes. Right, <laughs> and and so. <laughs> for very good reasons, but it was a lie. So I had to, as our relationship began to progress over the next few weeks, uh, and I realized this was actually gonna potentially be a serious relationship, I had to figure out how to, and when was the right time to roll back that lie in a way that didn't completely torpedo the relationship. And I also happened to be living with two other case officers at the same time, who also were undercover and who my wife had met and and knew them in their cover roles, and so it, it was no longer just my cover that was at, at issue. There, it was also theirs. So it definitely brings its challenges when you meet somebody while you're working and have to figure out, you know, when you when you make that call.
1: Hey, John, will you talk about? I kind of busted Doug and said, "Did you meet <laughs> your woman at a cover stop?" Will you <laughs> explain that terminology so people know why I bust and wife, and it's so a delightful. So when
0: we meet. A- we talked about developing relationships and recruiting someone to spy for us. And then I, we also talked about institutionalizing that so that that person becomes a resource for the U.S. government. So we have a seri- series of what we call agents, or, or we can, you can call them spies in the vernacular, who work for us overseas. So if you go to a new place, there's, there's a variety of people who are sources that the CIA meets one key thing that we have to do is we have to, once that relationship is cemented, we have to keep that relationship secret. We have to meet them so that they can never get caught by their bosses or their local security services. And so there's an entire process by which we go through to keep that relationship covert or clandestine. And that, that involves you know, prearranged meetings in certain places and you know hiding what you're up to. And one of the things we do to do that is... We do what we call surveillance detection runs. So you leave the embassy as Emily and you go on a a drive or whatever through the city to determine if someone might be following you. That's a very sort of detailed and careful process to make sure to not look like you're doing something out of the ordinary so that they put a lot of attention on you. And you go through that process and you make a number of stops as part of that. And that's what we call about cover stops. So you might – drive for 20 minutes, stop to buy something, determine if somebody's followed you, if they parked, if they came in a store with you, then you might move to the next level, be a little bit more aggressive. And aggressive, we call those cover stops. And that's in our training. We often provide people a little bit of uh, cash. cash money so that when you, when you stop at a place to buy a piece of pie or whatever it is, or uh, some earrings, then you can move on to the next places. So apparently, uh, Doug's wife was selling him something.
1: Yeah, and all I can say is my favorite cover stop I ever did was I got my lip waxed, <laughs> and I was so excited because Uncle Sugar I don't even know paid what that for this. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's bullshit. You do know it is because you know women, and we sometimes have hair in the wrong places, and we have to wax it, whether it be our eyebrows or our lip, chin. Not me, but some women have to do that. We wax it. We it's because we have to look pretty because of societal norms.
0: I see. So if I spend more time out in LA, I'm going to have to, I'll learn about these you things. You will learn about these things. I'll learn to wax some various...
1: You literally, you cannot throw a dead cat without hitting a a weed store or a nail and wax place. <laughs> that is literally what we're known for. We're going to be changing our license plate to that as well. But I was so proud of myself because I thought if anybody were to come in, because you, when you do a cover stop, you really want to sell the stop. You don't just go in and go out. Yeah. If you're going and buying a soda, you buy a soda, as John said, to sell it. And so I thought... God, I hope I have surveillance this day so they could come in and they could see that I'm literally selling my stuff. <laughs> um, also, I want to just kind of go around and because we did promise some good sex stories and dating stories and we've shared some good ones. Um, Doug, I'll start with you. Do you have any like good stories that when you tell people their mouths drop open or they are like, tell me more? Oh, you have to on the spot there. Do you want me to come back to you?
3: Yeah, come back to
1: me. You just wussed <laughs> out. I just want to make that known that I called on you and you wussed out. Um, who wants to go? I didn't and-
3: use a safe word, though.
1: You did not use we, I We agreed before the started that if there was any topic that was a little too risque, we would have a safe word. I couldn't think of a better word, so my word was popcorn. So I said, if anybody didn't like it, they could yell popcorn and we could change the topic. Now I've busted anybody. So if anybody uses that, they're going to be like, oh, that was super sensitive. Hmm. Uh, John, Uh you are the veteran of the CIA (laughs) here. Do you have any good stories? Because I shared safe housekeeper. Um, I could share other ones, but I'll let you go. And then I will take the pressure off of Doug and Cindy.
0: We were talking about the farm earlier. I remember there was a a student at the farm and there's a bunch of instructors. So the instructors are older case officers who have been overseas for a number of years who come back. And then they both teach and they run exercises for students. And like you said, people go to these cover stops. I remember the best time was when people would fill their trunks of their cars with all kinds of things that they'd bought, food and Sweet. stuff. That and they would bring it into the office, and we'd we'd stuff ourselves with donuts and every other thing they <laughs> bought. But <laughs> there was a prior to my time, there was a, a student who was dating one of the instructors, which is essentially a no no.
1: That's a big old no no.
0: And the instructors, the uh, training base, we call the farm. Uh, the instructors live there. There's houses there. It's a big sort of like military base. Um, and it became known to the students that this this it was a young woman was dating a, one of the instructors. And she would stay overnight at his house and we, it, with her rental car, which we use for our surveillance detection. And at one night, they the students went over there and took off all the tires on the <gasps> car and put the car up on blocks. Are
3: you serious?
0: In the driveway. <laughs> so the next morning, she went out to sort of— quickly get back to her place to get back in and her car was up on blocks and sort of That's
1: amazing. Pretty
0: rude, pretty rough.
1: That's super, super rough. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm like kind of giddy hearing that and I'm like, that's horrible. Tell me more. <laughs> um, I'll tell a quick, couple quick ones and I'll embarrass myself. Uh, the first guy I ever dated at the CIA, um, I found out while we were dating, he was dating somebody else. Mm-hmm. But the way I found out is that when we started going out, I lived in Falls Church at the time and he would... Pick restaurants that were in Reston or were way out in Maryland. And then we would drive a very sort of convoluted way to get there. And then I realized when I was telling a friend who was a case officer, he said, I think your boyfriend's doing a surveillance detection route to go on your dates. And I realized that's exactly what he was doing because his girlfriend also lived in Falls church and he didn't want to be caught. Um, And my second favorite one was a different gentleman I dated. I didn't date that many, many boys, so I don't want to give a false impression, but, um, we dated briefly, uh, I was not as smitten with him, but he was lovely. And it was a bad, snowy, icy, kind of yucky day. And he had called me and I was sitting in my apartment. And he said, oh, it's so bad. I said, I know. I don't want to have to scrape my car. It's that ice. It's going to be a pain in the ass. And he goes, you don't have to. And I said, no, no, my car's outside. I don't have a garage. I have to. Scrape my car he goes no 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 you don't have to because i did it for you and i said what he said i drove over and scraped off your car which is love no it's lovely I'll, I'll take someone scraping my car and i said okay well a that's weird you know my car but okay and i said well wait a minute this is where the creepy part comes in i said why didn't you tell me that you were here and why'd you tell me you Did he goes well i saw you through your window and you looked really content and i didn't want to bother you
0: that's the problem creepy Creepy, wicked, creepy,
1: creepy, it' wicked. W- You're so East. Co- oh my God, that's very Boston of you. You're very creepy, <laughs> wicked, creepy. Um, did you have a story? I saw you writing, John. So I was going to turn to well, you. I don't want
0: to. I don't want to take up all the time here no, for everybody. But, but there was another one. So we have a, a very intense course to prepare people to go to places like Moscow and M- Beijing <laughs> and others, called Hetsi Hostile Environment Tradecraft Course. So it's a, it's you know I don't even remember ten week, you know, incredibly intense. You know the, Followed by the FBI and helicopters, and you need to be able to determine whether you're being under surveillance. So you, it's preparing to go to a place like Moscow where your house is bugged. There's video in your house. You're followed everywhere. Everyone's questioned to be able to still operate in that that environment. So it's really sort of intense. A lot of time on the street. A lot of times trying to do escapes from surveillance and things. And the training center is is sort of undercover and put in some random office building somewhere where the students will go and they spend you spend all day and night there. It's an intense thing. Well, there was one where the student goes through these, these long, like, six, eight-hour surveillance runs, and then afterwards you come back in and you have to explain what you saw, where you did, and the instructors all work with you as sort of an after-action report. Okay, when you were here, what did you see? When you were there, what did you see? And this person came back and explained, you know, yes, I was under surveillance. I was here, there. I described all the cars and the people. And they said, well, yes, it's true. You were under surveillance. Yes, you were right here. You were right here. But this car, that, that's incorrect. Moved on. A couple days later, he goes on another one of these runs, drives out for five or six hours, comes back, and they say, okay, what did you see? And he says, well, I was under surveillance, and this was the car that was following me. And they said, no, that's a ghost. You weren't under surveillance. And he's like, I'm pretty sure I was. And they started to seem really surprising. He seemed very clear about the fact that he was being followed. Um, A couple of times go forward, and they essentially realize that, hey, this seems weird that this guy continues to report that he's being followed when he's not being followed, And our surveillance team went out with him to try to look to see what was happening. It turns out he was being followed. His wife thought he was cheating on him and hired a private detective to follow him in the middle of a (laughs) a CIA hostile training run. And he was then – the surveillance guy was following him back to this – super secret location where the training was taking place. They had to close the entire thing down and move because this private investigator had sort of gotten in the middle of their training.
1: Okay, that's amazing. Will you explain ghost? He <laughs> saw a ghost just so people know what the term is <laughs> while I'm in awe of that story.
0: <laughs> a ghost means uh, you believe someone was surveilling you when in fact it wasn't. So you learn when you become hyper sensitive when you're on the street, you know, wandering and looking what people are doing, uh, as you get good at that, you know, you look for anomalies and you look for people over time and distance, what they're might doing. And then you realize all the crazy things that go on the street that aren't related to you being followed. And so a lot of times people pick up things that they think are someone watching them when in fact they're not. And
3: we call those ghosts. Doug, you were talking. And I remember going through that course and, and um, being dinged if you saw too many ghosts. Yes. Yeah.
1: And I had a question or just I wanted you just to chat one second. You're talking about um, making somebody witting of where of you being CIA when you made your wife witting of that. And I was just I think it's important. And if you have something to speak to it as well, I would love for you to add in and chime in. You don't tell anybody when you join the CIA if you're if you're going undercover. And truly, the majority of the people at the CIA, they're not undercover. They're overt employees. They're analysts. They work in the D.A., direct administration or a D S and t they work and they they can be open. You know, they say, I, I'm an analyst in the CIA. There's a smaller percentage that are actually undercover. And you, you basically can make a few people winning. My parents were winning. I'm sure people's parents are winning. But when you decide that you want to make a spouse or a soon-to-be spouse or somebody significant in your life, it's kind of a big deal. Was it a big deal for you, Doug? And when you finally, you know, ripped off your face and said, this is who I really am.
3: Well, it, it was a huge deal, um, it, and I was terrified about it, but partially because I'd actually only known her for about three weeks. Oh, wow. Um, you were smitten. And, but our, <laughs> I was smitten. I knew we were going to get married if I could get through this you know, unmasking component. But my roommates were also terrified about it because it was going to affect, um, by extension, their their cover as well. Uh, And it it was uh, it was probably this one of the single least pleasant experiences I've had in my life because of her reaction to it, which involved a lot of screaming and tears. And how could you lie to me uh, about this, even though? At a rational level, she certainly understood the reasoning behind it. After a, three emotional weeks? emotional <laughs> she you... was very stressed out by <laughs> Wait it.
1: Wait a minute, Doug. Three weeks and she was screaming and crying. What did you do to this woman?
0: How dirty can we be in this discussion? we can be super yeah, dirty. <laughs> what were you doing?
1: <laughs> super dirty. I mean, my God, Doug, you're like a magician over here. Three weeks and she's screaming and crying. I'm impressed.
3: Hey, and we've been married 27 years. Well, so... there
1: you go. that's amazing i have a question um i heard a story and i don't know if it's true i hope it's true so please tell me it is about someone who was senior in the agency very 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 senior maybe in the top three they were um in the car in their. do you know what story i'm telling no no keep going okay so um he was in his uh town car and where the car was parked there was a lot of cameras. All over. and now I do know this. Now you know. Oh, good. I hope it's true. (laughs) So he was in his car and all of a sudden um, there's cameras everywhere and you just see this gentleman's head kind of fall back. And so immediately everybody went, oh, my God, this man is down. He's probably having a heart attack. We need to rush and find out if he's dead or alive. So – You know, security, I think somebody, you know, paramedic, whatever, they all rush down, rush down because they see this guy with his head, you know, flung back and then they rip open the doors and he is technically getting mouth to mouth at that moment. However, it was his special assistant giving him mouth to mouth and that would be code for a blowjob.
0: Yeah, it wasn't mouth to mouth. Yeah,
1: No, it was. Is that true? I heard it from so many sources.
0: It's it's pretty true. Okay. Um, Because, yeah, that person... Yeah, the people have become known and it became – it became one of those things.
3: All throughout everybody D.C. Saw. Of
0: course, the CIA and like many other – it's like high school hallways. Yeah. Like that stuff went around really quickly <laughs> and that person would, you know, be applying for jobs and you'd be looking at them like, oh, I know. But, you know, trying to keep the relationship like like you, you don't want to talk about gossip or something. So, yeah.
1: It's pretty amazing. I love that story. I love telling that story because <laughs> it's not my story. <laughs> but um, I am just looking – because I have kept you all. Does anyone, before I end, have any other? Doug, you've, you you kind of whisked out on this question. Do you have any good thoughts? Well, I was just
3: thinking about uh, one of the unfortunate instances overseas where one of my classmates ended up in a, a, a short of tour situation because of a sexual mistake he made. What was it? By by having. Sex with the daughter of a senior general in that country. Oh, and it happened to happen to be a Muslim country.
1: Oh, so that that would be a no-no. Like John, if that officer came to you and said, "Hey, so I may have slipped up. What would you have? <laughs> what would you have done?" As his boss.
0: Well, that, that's what most CIA managers learn to, to get into the details because everything depends, right? It that's, depends. That's the <laughs> best term in the CIA. It At depends. The farm. Yeah.
1: Is the phrase of when your parents say "just because"?
0: <laughs> exactly. I remember when, I, when I, I was speaking to a group of University of Texas students with a, um, a professor who's down there who was in my training class with me. And I remember we had a guy who came to the class who had been a marine, and he wanted he wanted answers to all the questions. What do you do in this situation? What's the right thing? What's the wrong thing? And, and that just kills you. In our world, it's gray. It's like well, it depends. In this, in some cases, you do this. In some cases, you might do that. Um, and so, yeah, when somebody comes to you and they say, OK, I'm starting to date this person, you talk through the details. Like, how did you meet him? What is it? Do the parents know? What's the relationship? You know, it might be a way to, you know, develop relationships with a variety of senior people if that's an up-and-up thing and the family is supportive. You know, if, you're, if you've are if you done something wrong or trying to hide something, then it might be completely different. So it, it depends on the, the specifics, and Doug probably knows well, those and we don't.
3: Yeah, and knowing the facts of this case, which I, I'm not going to lay out, but there, there was no way of salvaging this. It was a colossal error in judgment on the case of this first tour officer. Uh, Did and, he ever have a second set, tour? Shockingly, he's still in. Wowza. Okay.
0: I know yep. people that have. There, it, there was a officer who was in Thailand got in a similar situation with uh, you know someone from the royal family or what, and eventually. St- quit the agency and stayed because now they're like royalty (laughs) I would totally if I could
1: be a queen or a princess I'd be like fuck it I'm gone I'm out (laughs) I'm like oh I would I think it would take me two seconds I, I wouldn't because I'm very patriotic, so I wouldn't have
3: You're our queen of the deep state.
1: I am the queen of the deep state, and that is a lovely segue for me to say thank you all for joining me on this very, very special episode that I've wanted to do for so long, and I've been emailing you all about it, and I'm so glad it finally happened. And so I just want to say thank you, and for everybody who's listening, if you enjoyed this, you can – Go to Deep State Radio Network, and you can have access to all these other podcasts, too. I co-host a podcast called Unredacted. Um, we've had some great interviews. We've interviewed Evan McMullen, who is former CIA, we ha- who also ran for president, Josh uh, Campbell, who is CNN, former FBI, and we just interviewed Hillary Clinton. I don't know if you know of her. She's going to have a great career <laughs> one day. She's great. Um, and so we've had some really great guests, and we've been really excited about that. So please go and do that. And also check us out. Check... Washington for beautiful people out on iTunes, rate it, rank it. Give me some nice comments. I'd love to hear what you think. And I just want to say thank you again to John Cypher. And you can follow John at John underscore Cypher because he's <laughs> fancy and he's got the underscore. You can follow Doug at Gray Man Actual. That's G-R-A-Y-M-A-N-A-C-T-U-A-L. Thank you, Doug. I finally get to hear yep. your voice. And Cindy, I want to thank you for being the other woman on this panel. I appreciate you representing. (laughs) Thank you. Sure. And follow Cindy because she's amazing. And anytime she tweets on anything she writes, definitely read it because they're amazing. And she can be found at at Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, Otis, O-T-I-S, all one word. And, of course, you can follow me at CIA Spy Girl. And thank you all for listening. And if you all like this, send in questions. Maybe I'll... Bring this panel back again to do some more embarrassing, wonderful questions about sex and CIA because there's tons of them. So thank you all so much for listening. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.
0: Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced
1: in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.